Hey gang, welcome to episode 96 of the No Proscenium podcast, your guide to everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from a very, very windy Los Angeles. Today on the show, um, you might want to go get yourself a drink. I mean, not if you're driving at this very moment, that'd be terrible, because this is an After Dark episode, and it's the first time it's been an After Dark episode, and it hasn't been Zay, our man in New York City, and myself talking over uh, the internet. This time out, it's Julianne Jest of Los Angeles' very own The Speakeasy Society, and she's here to talk about all of the work that they're doing right now, and as we do on after dark episodes, we get very, very philosophical. So this conversation is going to go here and it's going to go there, but it's also going to cover a lot of great ground and you probably want to drink. Um, not because it's stressful, but because it's just going to make it easier to follow. Also, I giggle a lot and maybe there are cats, but you don't listen to the show to hear me talk about giggling because of cats. You listen to the show so you can hear me giggle because of cats, but you also want to know what's going on in the world. So let's start off with the thing we always start off with these days, which is I want to thank our latest Patreon backer, Stephen Ng, uh, who has helped push us ever closer to the hundred patron backer mark. I'm going to talk some more after uh, the show, after the interview about where we are on Patreon stuff. But let's just skip right ahead. Uh, if you want to help out the show, uh, patreon.com slash no I'm not very good at this marketing myself thing. Um, let's skip ahead and get to the news and notes because uh, it's a busy week and there's some really big stuff to talk to you about. First off, you know, we call this show the, your guide to everything immersive and everything immersive is our group on Facebook. And when I say our group, I really mean our group. And to make a point of that, uh, last night I was hanging out with Mike Fontaine of the My Haunt Life crew. Uh, he and Russell, they're, they're friends of, of mine, not just of each other. Come on. Like I have friends. I don't just invite people on my podcast so that people have to like me. You know, Mike, Mike let me play with his PlayStation VR. I got to be Batman and I got to be an X-Wing fight. Okay. Like, let's not go there. It was pretty cool. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, but we were there. And talking about stuff uh, and figuring a few things out. And while we were doing that, I said, hey, you just want to be you want to be an admin of of uh, everything immersive with the, with the vast powers that comes with on Facebook. And, and Mike was kind enough to say yes, because I needed some help uh, because we are screaming towards 700 members in everything immersive. And we are uh, trying to do a better and better job of not just reflecting Los Angeles and New York and San Francisco, uh, which is, you know, where this show got started. We want to really be. Uh, serving communities in Chicago, in Orlando, in Cincinnati, in Cleveland, in Des Moines, in the Twin Cities, in Seattle, in Toronto, in Ontario, in London, in Paris, in Dubai. Why not? Because there's stuff all over the world. Australia, which is not a city. Um, <laughs> I don't, Dubai... Wait, Dubai's a city. Um, geography. I'm an American. We're bad at it. Just ask any of us. <laughs> ask us to point at something on a map and we'll be like, what's a map? Here's my phone. Um, 
thank you, Michael Fontaine, for coming on and helping out run this crazy thing. If you are in one of those cities that I roll called that isn't Los Angeles and you want to help be a moderator and uh, herd people into everything immersive and uh, keep an eye peeled for news and stuff and you want to kind of ha- be part of this conversation we got going on, ping us. You can either email me, noah at nopersinium.com or uh, ping nopersinium on Facebook or any of the 19 different ways you can get a hold of us because I do want to talk to you. I really, really want to talk to you. Let's move forward with the news and notes. We've got a lot going on this week. Uh, this week, we published a feature on The Nest, which is here in Los Angeles. Uh, Jeff Weber and Jarrett Lance uh, deigned to have an interview with me, and we did a feature about it, and I'm really happy with how, to tur- how it turned out. Um, you should read it. Uh, the Nest is a very, very special show, and it's extending. The tickets are going back on sale on May 4th at noon, a little earlier if you are on their email list. I recommend you get on their email list because it's going to sell out again. It will sell out again. There's no way it's not selling out. You want to be ready for it. We've got a lot of tickets to prepare you to be ready for. Let's keep on going. Let's talk about the shows we're tracking. Houston. We're going to start in Houston. That's a city that I'd love to have some eyes and ears in. Uh, Red House is closing this weekend. They previewed last weekend. They're closing this weekend. I'd love to hear about the show. Uh, I think, Dino, I think you, you're the creator uh, and you told me about it. I hope my memory is serving right because I am literally going off uh, this faulty noggin at the moment. In New York City, uh, Kelly Bartnick's Here is going on sale next weekend, next week uh, for the May dates. Again, the memory. Up in Oregon right now at Mount Hood, the Overlook Film Festival is happening. You got your blackout going on. You got the weekend horror game going on. Uh, our friend Brian Bishop is being helicoptered in right now because he was overwhelmed with the version of Apartment 8 that Annie Lesser put on, which up there is called The Chalet. Uh, I've been watching uh, Kate Lane, um, uh, her Instagram stories as she runs around in the snow. It is like... It's adorable. Um, If you are just encountering that work for the first time and you're up at the Overlook, um, you you might want to go back a couple episodes. uh, And this is really, if you've been saving yourself to listen to the Kate Lane and Dasha Kittredge episode of the show because you didn't want to spoil anything about Apartment 8 or The Chalet, now's the time. That's just episode 94. It's not that far back in the feed. Fun episode there. Um... Stories we're following, um, there a Kickstarter popped up this week, and I don't recommend to anyone that they jump on a Kickstarter, you know, like sight unseen on a piece of tech, um, unless you are just rolling in cash. In which case, who cares? Uh, if I was rolling in cash, which you know I'm not, uh, I would be getting this one, VR glove. It's a force feedback haptic interaction device being designed to be used with both the Oculus and the Vive. Watch the video. You might lose your mind a little bit. Um, And let's put it that. So VR glove on the Kickstarter. Uh, Again, you'll find this stuff in the show notes as the day plays out on Friday, April 28th. Now, uh, that's all the cities that matter. Yeah, nothing else. Oh, Los Angeles. Yeah, this one. Okay, first... I need to make it up to some folks. Uh, twice now in the newsletter, 
I have accidentally snubbed our friends at Play Arts Collaborative, which is no good whatsoever on my part because uh, we've been through a lot together and you don't you don't ignore your battle buddies. Um, I love those kids. They've got a piece called The Last Supper that they're doing, which is a very sacrilegious take on The Last Supper, um, which they produced through uh, in partnership with Airbnb. Because Airbnb is getting into the event space. It's very interesting. Uh, a British newspaper found out they were doing it and got totally a pop lap. Pop lap. Can't say that word. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, and, and yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, they're doing their first uh, kind of solo run of it because it's kind of been on the Airbnb thing and like they, they've been promoting it. And now they're promoting it themselves. Uh, May 5th, Friday, May 5th. Yes, yes. Friday, May 5th. Uh, you can find that in the show notes as well. Um, the kids are up to up to their tricks again. So there we go. Trying to make it right because I keep on making it wrong. Now, something very big is happening. There's a shadow on the sun. Uh, something very big is happening in Los Angeles in June. It's so big that we have to talk about it in April, getting ready to do something about it in May. And that thing is the Hollywood Fringe Festival. This weekend on Saturday, um, and I, I meant to get it out sooner, but mm, work's been busy. This weekend on Saturday, we are doing a special edition of the newsletter that is going out to everyone. So if you get the newsletter and you're within the sound of my voice, this will be in your inbox sending it to the people in the Southeast. I'm sending it to the people in the Midwest, in New York City, because this June is the best opportunity yet to see what the Los Angeles immersive community has to offer. If you wanted to come into town and say, I wanna see three, four, five shows, you can finally do that, thanks to The Fringe. Um, so thank you, Ben Hill, for hooking us up with this amazing platform you've created along with Stacy and Khan and Dave and everyone else who's worked on the, the, the structure of it. Megan, I could, I could spend the next 10 minutes just naming people because everyone who works on the fringe does it, uh, because they believe in the power of fringe. And let me tell you, it is amazing for the Los Angeles theater scene and it's working wonders for the immersive scene. So this special edition of the newsletter is coming out, and in that newsletter, you're going to find the stuff that we are intrigued by, that we think comes under the big immersive tent, um, and we're going to help you navigate as best we can through our strange world of immersive. May 1st, Monday, May 1st, is when the tickets go on sale, and for some things like the reprise of Apartment 8, for capital W's Red Flags, for Shine On Collective's Sweet Dreams. These are tickets that are probably going to go pretty darn fast. And there's there's one more show that I, that I think is gonna go pretty darn fast. We'll get to that in a second, you'll see why. We've also got uh, a taste of Fire and Light from the Firelight Collective. That one's probably gonna go pretty quick too. Uh, it's, it's a short, just taste of what they did with Firelight. Uh, and it's popping up in two different venues. So, and it's like a, it's a 10 minute, 10 minute, uh, so definitely worth checking out. We're gonna have a make a night of it guide closer to the actual fringe over the No Presidium uh, collection. So, helping you figure out how to like get all that you can out of this crazy monstrosity. That being said, 
the other thing that's really exciting about Fringe, of course, is that there's brand new work that's going to show up. Like, totally, totally brand new work uh, from folks you've never met or seen before. And that's what Fringe is all about. So it's not just about catching up with stuff that you've missed or catching companies that you you know are tried and trues and are going to take us somewhere like that's 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 dessert the meal of fringe is the unknown and i am so excited that joining us in the quest to understand the unknown this year is our friend juliet bennett ryla uh she's freelance these days She's one of the best writers on the immersive scene in Los Angeles. She reviewed The Nest for us. She is coming on to help us with The Fringe and probably beyond. And I couldn't be more excited to have an ally of her caliber uh, at my side as we dive into the busiest month we've ever had in Los Angeles. And it's just going to keep on getting busier. Now, there is one more group that is making their fringe debut, but they are no strangers to this show or to you. And that is the Speakeasy Society. And Julianne Just is here to talk with us today about all the work they're doing. The third part of their Johnny cycle is popping up at the Mountain View Mausoleum and Cemetery in Altadena next month in May. Uh, it may be the third part of the cycle, but you need no prior knowledge to jump into this uh, version of Dalton Trumbo's universe uh in johnny got your gun uh johnny get your gun i always mess that up i always mess it up i don't care um it's it's sort of their it's their um they have two modes the speakeasy they got their kind of their literary dive in art mode and they've got their their popular entertainment mode uh both are really good and both show their full range and the popular entertainment mode is what the kansas collection is all about so many of you have gotten a chance to see it. Some of you have been holding out or you're waiting or you just missed on tickets because they sell out. Well, at the Fringe, they're doing a double bill. One ticket, double bill, the key and the axe, one weekend only during the Fringe. One ticket gets you both shows. That one is also going to sell the F out. And I just said the F because, yes, this is an After Dark episode and we even get get Julianne to swear. I know. I was shocked too. So I want you to make your way to the fridge, grab that beer you've been you've been holding out on, or maybe get the one that's cellaring. Pour yourself a cocktail if you're not a beer person, maybe a glass of wine. Doesn't matter to me. I'll drink whatever you got. Cause here we go. After dark with Julianne Just of the Speakeasy Society. Not out of guys wearing uh, Jedi robes. Because don't even get me started on Mandalorians. And the show's begun. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would be like a hilarious way to start the show. Me saying, don't even get me started on Mandalorians. I can't I, I can't guarantee the quality of my content tonight. It's it's okay. okay. I mean, worst case scenario, we just go like, well, that didn't work. And we okay. just, like, we just okay. table it, right? You know, because we, we sadly, we probably, we've been talking for about, 
I don't know, like 45 minutes now. And like probably a good 25, 30 minutes of it probably should have been recorded. But we were also like maybe like a little looser than we normally would be. But this is this is the first... I'm going to call this an after dark one because it's it's after nine. Uh, Julianne's been... has a beer. I have my water because I did too much drinking last week. And... We're 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 gonna probably get theoretical in here in in a big way, but first ch- let's check in on status because I don't I don't know when I'm gonna air this one. So this is either gonna air like it could even air like right after you guys do uh, the the door and and but definitely before Johnny. Almost certainly this would be before Johnny because uh, this it has to go before Johnny Johnny three. Um, so just check in. How are you doing? You're 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 in production. You're running two pieces about to. Well, you just you just ran a piece. You're going to run another piece. You've you've got people wanting to. Then that those pieces being the key and the axe. People are demanding that you keep running the key because you guys had some fun with the SWAT team this past weekend after this right after we recorded. Uh, not you guys, but near the SWAT team. And then uh, you got the door coming up, and then. Uh, the third part of the Johnny cycle, like hard upon that. So how are you holding up? Well, Miss has a day job as well on top of all this. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a, a lot. Yeah. Um, we're we're running with it. Uh, the team, you know, luckily we are a, a team. Speakeasy is a, a multi-person uh, group, and we are definitely uh, definitely that's that's important right now. <laughs> Um, I am sure that right at this moment, uh, Chris Porter is hard at work on the Johnny Free script. I am sure there right. are, are exactly, right. exactly. We can text him. We should exactly. text him. During, we should we should call him during the show and be like, Chris, are, are you, you working? Are you working right now? I bet he is I would, working. I would, we should do that. Okay, I'm going to text him right now and text say, right. are you working? We should call him. You want to call, call him? him? Let's call this him. This is early to call him. Should we call it's, him? It's early. It's it's okay. early. Is no, nine? It's not. Is nine? Okay, yeah. Let's okay, call I'm him. I'm gonna call Chris. Call him. Put him on. Uh, put, put him it, on speaker. Put him on speaker. This is this is kind of He's wrong. He's gonna think that like. No, tell him what's there's up. There's an emergency. No, no, no. Just okay. tell him what's up. Tell him that like. Technically, we shouldn't be doing this. So like, the first thing should be you just say, Chris. Just so you know, we're we're live on the air right now. Tell him that. Okay. That's the ethical thing That's to do. That's the ethical thing to do. Probably just get his voicemail. It's be hilarious. We've never done this on the show before. Hey, Chris. So uh, you're on the air right now. I'm uh, with Noah, and we're recording a podcast. Woo! Oh. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. <laughs> uh, uh, Ju- Julianne had a very important question for you. Yes. So are you working right now? Yes. <laughs> what, what scene are you working on? Um, I'm kind of jumping back and forth between The Last Supper and Section B, Scene 2. Section B, Scene 2. How many how many uh, scenes are there in Section B? Four. So there you go. All right. Well, that was good. We wanted a production update live, quote-unquote, on the air. Uh, because <laughs> we're kind of doing one of the after... You, 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 Chris, I know you know the show. We've, we've designated this one an after dark because uh, Julianne has a beer. And uh, and it's after and it is after dark, so uh, we're playing fast and loose. So congratulations on being the first live call on the show. <laughs> I'm I'm thrilled with that on it. Okay, no, get back to work. work. Yeah, get back to work. Get back okay, to work. I'll make, get back to work. Make get that back to work. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> that actually, we did that. I can't we believe, did that. I, can't I, I also want to note that I am reserving the right for a redo on tonight. You, you, yeah, no, it's. it's I, fine. I'm reserving that right. But that was really, that was really funny. I mean, the, the, we could yes. just end this episode now. Right there, right to. there. Like a, that we did that. Chris, That's Chris a Porter is essential to the speakeasy. We yeah. couldn't do it without him. That's very clear. That's a that's a call out, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Chris gets Chris gets calls out on the show every episode. He's the only human being other than Zay, I think, that gets a call out every episode. No, more. Hold on, I'm doing math. No, I think Zay has had more than Chris. Um, and there was one time I forgot to like tag him on the uh, on the music, right? And he's always like, "Thank you for like every time." I'm like, "Yeah, it's just the credits, dude. Don't get excited." No, okay. um, that's very good. I'm very excited about it. Um, okay, so you guys are in process. We are in process. Um, we're we're we're. Working fast and, and furious. So you're these shows are very different too. So like you guys are playing with like different form in a lot. Like take me. What are you thinking about these days in terms of this world? Because like we've had such an interesting. After dark means I get to ramble more even more than usual. We've had a really interesting month in Los Angeles uh, because we've had you guys are working an episodic. Uh, Jake was the conclusion of an episodic. Um, you know, lust is spinning back up, and they've got their alternate reality experiences has now begun, leading towards whenever their show is going to be. Out in New York, here is doing episodic work. Like there's there's a strong trend in that zone, and you guys are kind of in, in the the middle of it. Where has this been taking your thinking? I mean, the episodic. It's you know that was an impulse, and it's mostly that was inspired by Indicade, right? So uh, you're to blame for it. Yeah. And uh, but you I know we needed to way make too many problems. We we needed to make a piece for Indicade, and the you know we had been tossing. You know, Oz had always been kind of in the docket of IP to maybe explore. And uh, we realized we couldn't make a piece that told, I mean, we could make a piece that told a full story in the 10 minutes the audience had with us, but, um, but the Oz canon's very big and there's a lot of fun stuff in there and it kind of, uh, you know, it obviously had it not been a success at Indicade, there probably might have let it go, but yeah. it, it seemed that there was an interest in it. And it's when, when did you guys know it was a success at Indicade? Because, like, and, and cause well, it wasn't, the, wasn't the, the explosion of the line. No, because that's deceptive. Everyone's yeah. like, it was sold out right away. And it was like, yes, but, but that's because there was this colorful tent. There was this tangible, real thing, which yeah. gets into like what's exciting about immersive, right? Tangible, real things. Oh yeah. Um, and so you know, at this this gaming festival that has booths and all this stuff, here is this tent, this like magical, colorful tent, in the middle of a field, and like who wouldn't want to go inside it and see what the fuck's happening in there? And because um, it's after hours, I can swear. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, normally I would not have said that there. <laughs> Uh, but, um, so that's, you know, that people were excited, right? You're looking around, you, you show up, what do I want to check out? Oh, this giant colorful thing, right? But, you know, at the end of the night though, a lot of people went through it and it felt like the people coming out had had an experience they didn't regret. Um, and, uh, you know, in all transparency, we had made the thing and it was like, well, we might as well put it up again and sell tickets because obviously uh, Indicade was such a high turnout event. A lot of people didn't see it who had yeah. maybe been interested anyway. 
And uh, it was after actually we did our first remount that it was like, oh, people are people are digging this. And of course, because we called it chapter one, we're already set up to have to do, I mean, we have to do, if you call something chapter one and people imply that they would come to a second part, you're, you're stuck, right? Right. But, um, but it's funny because on some level it's a, it's a piece like we're discovering stuff as a company as we make it. It's definitely been more in some ways play like the creation process. There's some, there's a lot more play in it for us. And, uh, and, um, and on some levels because of the content and the way we're, where we're kind of taking the story, there are elements of it where it's like, well, it's fun. It's a yeah. fun piece in a way that not that Johnny isn't fun, but Johnny isn't fun, right? right. It's it's emotional and it's well, that's a lie. We we've talked about this. Johnny is fun in its own way, but it's it's an it's a in it's a well, it's, deeper experience. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's on like some I, level. It's like I wouldn't say I wouldn't necessarily call, you know, I went and did like the conclusion of Have You Seen Jake, I wouldn't necessarily call it fun but it i wouldn't trade it for anything right and like you don't you don't read every novel so that you're like yeah. laughing all the way through or that you're delighted sometimes you like you want you just want to feel well and know? that's like i think about like comedy as a genre like i actually don't laugh out loud very often period like no but it's just not how i ex- i express or experience yeah. stuff and that made me want to laugh out loud that's the one thing uh, <laughs> everything makes me laugh these days i don't know why it's, it's starting to worry about myself you're in a in a place but um so again, right? Like there are, there are, and there are in Johnny's story moments of of joy for him in memory, in in stuff. But oh, yeah. it's it is a heavier experience, and you know, in some ways, we casually. And this is a super simplification of it, but it's a little like Johnny's an art piece. Like we're doing it for the artistry, and and in some ways, the Kansas collection is something else. And I don't want to be like it's a fun. It's we're doing it for the fun of it because right. it's a lot of work. Right. Uh, but there, it's it's. It's entertaining. The, the, it's, entertaining. It's, 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 yeah. it's entertaining. The and stakes yeah. are different. Like our what we the stakes are different, right? Like as artists, what we feel like we owe to to Trumbo's novel and to that work is different than what we feel we owe maybe to and and the liberties we're going to take, right? Like to a certain extent, the 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 Kansas collection, we feel we feel quite like we have a lot of liberty. We can take a lot of liberty within it. Yeah, fair amount of leeway. Well, yeah. Here's an interesting question. I always say that when like I find this one interesting. Um, I'm not going to qualify it. I qualify too many things. I'm doing it right now. Um, do you feel like you have to do more? Because we were talking a little bit before. And I was mentioning sort of like the way, the way when you're working with stuff that's in the canon, uh, there's a baked-in lore that people can like approach yeah. with. You know, not everyone knows Johnny Get Your Gun, yeah. Um, but it's it's part of the American canon. Do you feel like you know you're you're sort of beholden more towards giving people that narrative? And in Kansas, you have a little more room to play because people know the Scarecrow and they know the 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 Tin Woodsman and, and everybody else. Yes, no, right? So mm. you can kind of count on the idea that everyone has seen, like, the original Wizard of Oz movie, yeah. right? That, that that was experienced at some point in their life. But then it's a double-edged sword, right? You have people who are huge fans of the books who know who, who know more than we know, right? right. And, and you have people who are also just investigators that's their audience type and so now that they're they might not have known more on chapter one 
But now that they've invested down the rabbit hole, yeah. they're pulling in stuff. They so they walked in blind because everyone yeah. indicate walked in blind. That yeah, was the magic but, of indicate. You had no idea what you were getting into. But but and but it's 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 fun, right? So there are things that sometimes people bring into a show that then we are going to adapt and respond to and build back into future pieces or the lore. There are certain things that come up sometimes in an audience interaction where you're like. That's that's not the connection we were setting up, but the mm. fact that you made that connection because you have all this um, existing knowledge or relation or your own relationship to the material, right? That's so much of it, right? Right. People they remember how they first experienced it, when they first experienced it, mm. like who you know what characters resonated with them at that point. It's it's um, which I feel like you know Alice does that a lot, Macbeth a little less, right? Most people aren't like. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of of, of Duncan. He's he's really my my cake. See, but, having having directed teenagers in in several sh- cut down versions of the Scottish play, like I'm probably one of the few people who are. I'm like, oh yeah, like like Banquo's always fun and like Duncan's yeah. always cool. But like the real the real thing you want to do. But you're yeah. gonna meet way more people who are like, I love the White Rabbit, or oh, yeah. I'm really you know the Queen of Hearts is like my favorite character. Oh, and be able be able to come out of Ben Fell and like yeah. I was doing this with the white rabbit right yeah i wouldn't want to spoil it like it's it's one of those like unexpected people's relationships to those characters and the idea that not just generally to the characters but that they might even have favorite characters within it yeah is a different ballpark right are you finding a lot of that happening right now like are people like you oh i want to see more of this character or that character well i mean you know it's of course and spoiler spoiler you know but it's a you know Chapter one and chapter two do not have Dorothy in them. Yeah. And obviously, when people think of the Wizard of Oz, when they think of Oz lore, she is one of the first people that you're going to think of, right? right? So, you know, it is definitely an interesting space of, like, I would say people are are interested in knowing what's up with Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> um and, and, they, and they might at some point. And they might get at that some point or, yeah. or not, you, you know, know, but but she's a big, which is funny. So in chapter one and two, you won't have, you won't meet her, but obviously she's. She, her absence is felt actively. Yeah. And, yeah. and addressed in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a totally different ballpark. Truthfully, I'd say Kansas Collection for us has been a, a, it's just a different thing and it kind of. It was just really surprising. It's had a life much beyond what we were expecting, and and very happily so. Yeah. But it's definitely and the tickets are selling like fast. Yes, and and that was surprising to us as well. And um, and again, we're not like trying to do like a limited resource thing. That's not like some game plan we're no. playing. <laughs> a lot of it really is, and and it, that's tough because sometimes it's like this is already sold out. Like, come on, make it like. I want to see it, and and truthfully, it's really it's all about uh, space and performers, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, I know chapter three, we're doing a very limited initial run of it, um, and if we could tag a day onto it, we would. The, obviously, the problem is we're making Johnny threes, and uh, and also, you know, you aren't going to recast in in a thing like this. Casting becomes very important, right? Right. You know, the, you don't because you don't want to. It would recast, really. Yeah. I do think it would highly compromise the experience at this point, 
to recast a main role, right? Because yeah. people have an idea of, they, they feel like they've met that character. And they've, they have. They've met that character and had a really intimate that's, experience. It's that's, not... That's really interesting because, like, that gets that gets into one of, like, the axes I've got these days. Because because you guys are, are operating in, in episodic and kind of doing what I'm now trying to call alternate reality experiences because it's, these aren't quite games. You, don't, you no, can't really win. No. A game is something I, you can win. I, right? I like that because yeah. I do, I always feel, I have to admit, I feel there, are, I always try to like couch it, right? Like with elements of ARG yeah. where it's like, we, we shouldn't call it an ARG because it's not. Yeah, it's an ARX. But, yeah. but there are elements of ARG. So it's an, yeah. I like this, ARX. I was going to, I was going to go for ARE, but then there are's and like that's, that's bad. I mean, you can make some good jokes with it. Well, I realized that, you know, because I realized that... So the reason why people probably have the perception of me that, like, I, I don't go head over heels for ARGs. And I, I explore that sometimes in my own head. Like, why... For someone who loves the lore of things, right? And I love the lore of things. And one of the things that I found really interesting when I was up at Jake, I was talking with uh, John, one of the fans who went really deep at Jake. And I think I'm going to try and have him on the show at some point to talk about this sort of stuff. But I realized that for him, the the ARX there, was because this was an original story, was doing the job that you know, seeing Alice in Wonderland or reading the Scottish play does for all of us who go to Then She Fell or Sleep No More or the Oz books are doing for Kansas or the Oz, you know, or Wizard of Oz is doing for, you know, Kansas collection. Um, You you go in and you have a a passing familiarity. It's why people tend to go for folklore or or mythic structures in this stuff because you can navigate easier. Well, and I would say what's interesting about it is in the episodic, it's important because time is so limited, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously you could do an episodic show that's hour length pieces, but that's, I mean, that's a lot of material to generate. I think they're doing that, but it's for like a lot smaller group of people. I think it's like a... It's like a maybe it's not an hour. Maybe it's like forty-five minutes is what here is, but it's for like an audience of four or five. You know, it's small. Yeah. It's not cheap either. Seventy-five bucks a throw. Yeah, so it's 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 an interesting. You know, at forty-five minutes, how many people can you put through a night? Again, resources, runs, etc. It's all doable. Yeah. But um, but if you know you're working in smaller chunks of time. Obviously, the more knowledge your audience comes in with, the more you can do, right? It takes yeah. a little pressure off you in terms of how much you need to give them. If, and then that's where, you know, if it's in a completely original story, yeah, you have to start at square one with your yeah. audience or they're going to potentially be lost. Or is the point, is being lost part of it and over the episodes there? I mean, I think there's a lot of TV shows that do that, right? Yeah. The first episode, you're like, what the hell well, was even that? I'm thinking and of like, over the series, it's going to make more sense, and, but... Well, and I'm thinking of like you guys with with the stronger, and you know that's a 20 minute piece, and you go in and you don't you don't know anything really, other than you're going to meet like one person, you know, or even that you don't really but, know. But I would argue that's not a story driven experience. It's, right. It's a character driven experience with um, kind of an emotional objective. But you could totally like. So you so, guys could like 
the actual story of it is really simple right and 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 so and that's i guess it's again it's how much can people absorb in a limited period of time yeah um what is actually the import the essential elements of said experience for those people i I mean i think there's a lot i could see play with that i could see you i could see it being possible to like use that as the jumping off point for like a series of those kind of vignettes that are connected thematically but then reveal themselves to actually be connected narratively right it would still be you'd still be more in collage montage sort of structure you know, in the sense of it's almost like an anthology but then if you in each one works by itself but you, when you finally step back you find out that it's a mosaic and that it all actually links together well and i i think though that's all about uh goals of the show right, right. goals of the performance yeah, and not. and that's and i think that's i mean that's one of the exciting and fun things of making the work right it's what what are your objectives with said piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think there's a lot of immersive that is um, that's not necessarily character driven, right? Where it's yeah. like actually the person you had that experience with, you understand their basic role in the world, but who they are as an individual is not so important, right? Um, for that piece, for what they need out of said interaction. Others, obviously, the character becomes a real driving point, and so it's it's about how how do you need your audience to relate to that, and and how important is that to your overall experience, right? Yeah. Because I do think there's a lot of immersive experiences out there that are great that aren't necessarily well, they're not narrative driven, and for me that becomes they're not story driven. They're right. they're thematically driven. Their experience, their nature of experience is driving it, but. Actually, I guess a lot are thematically driven, right? A lot are thematically driven, but I mean, it also depends on if, like... And I think that's like, that uh, role of potentially, yeah. you know, and, and, it, and it's, it's a model thing, right? The yeah. choose-your-own-adventure, obviously, narrative and story functions differently in some ways than in a... Well, and there's, there's also the question of, like, you know, if, if the audience... There's, there's different ways the audience can be the protagonist, right? Like, maybe they're not the narrative protagonist, but they're the emotional protagonist, so the characters are doing things that are narrative based, but the arc is really about the the ex- experiences of the the participants going through, right? And that's when we talk about you know we're designing people's experiences, we're designing emotional arcs, and we want to lead people through that. And and with enough time and resources, you can also be like there's a story going on at the same time. I okay, we were joking about Star Wars uh, before we started. I always think about, you know, he's they're working, they're working the hero's journey there. But, like, it also, it works, and you've got that point of view character in the form of Luke, and you're experiencing that journey through his eyes and going along with it. And the thing about immersive is that it would be like you're doing Star Wars, but there is no Luke. You're Luke, who's, like, super generic on so many levels. Well, but that's a choice, and it's a, it's a nature of performance. There's yeah. a ver- there's an immersive Star Wars where Luke is a character, yeah. and you are sharing the experience with him. But on some level, he his story becomes a guiding force for your story, right? No pun intended. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, maybe mm-hmm. I just saw an arm mm-hmm. twist in a way that maybe um, it's intended. But on the other side, yes, there's a version where you yourself kind of become Luke, and are it is your 
journey quest, right? Yeah. Um, and I think they're both valid choices. And in the end, you're going to create a whole piece that's either supporting one form of it or another. Yeah. Um, they'll change. Those things will change the how you craft that show drastically, and and probably a lot of the the natures uh, the nature of like the audience interactions, yeah. right? And I've seen shows that, well, and like you know this uh, second second iteration of Johnny, you know, played in a in a meta way where things would kind of break down and you know you're suddenly you know you're you're kind of always Johnny and then you're kind of almost not Johnny because you're being it's, you know you're being questioned as to why you're remembering things the way they are and suddenly like the nature of what's going on is kind of thrown into doubt and and, and where your point of view is doesn't seem like it's fixed. I think of what Shine On did when they did Devoted, where you were cast as you, but in the culminating show, you were sometimes you, and then sometimes the characters were suddenly treating you like you were Kara, who was sort of the, for a lot of the other shows, almost like the antagonist of of the piece. So she was like a pro slash antagonist, and this and this fungible. Uh, POV and this idea of like slipping in and out of people's well, skin. Well, I mean, it's really it's well, it's the beauty of dream space, right? Yeah. Like, and and not to say that that's a crutch, you know, but it's you know, I think a lot of these pieces, you need that's the space you have to craft in. A, you're crafting in that space because of resources, right? How right. can you actually make said thing? It's going to be somewhat symbolic, right? right. And it's set up. You know, in Johnny 2, the idea is, right, when you're in your own mind, when you're in your own dream, you can be you, and sometimes you're someone else, right? Yeah. Um, in the same way that I, in, in a dream, you know, your dad can be your dad, and then suddenly your dad is, you know, your co-worker, yeah. but he still looks like your dad, but he's no longer that person. I had, I had something similar. So, yeah, I had you one know, of those last night, actually. It, it wasn't my dad, but yeah. Yeah, where suddenly yeah. someone who's occupied a certain role in your life is now in a completely different space in this dream space and that's for me it was like Cory Doctorow was in the dream but he was being played by Drew Carey and they have similar facial features but not enough and I don't know why I don't think about those guys ever uh, and they got a concussion it was weird so <laughs> which you know I mean that could go into a whole conversation of dream space right because yeah. different people dream in different ways so in some people they always see themselves in their own you know yeah. you, in some versions of dreams right you can, third see, person perspective? you can see yourself oh, like and, and other times yeah. you see yourself but you're not yourself right in other versions you are always yeah. you know you and uh, I can't think of any third so, person dreams but yeah. that's because people have different dream styles yeah, right yeah. so but all of that I believe is permissible and I do think you know one of the big things we circle around on is like so it's immersive theater and there are these ideas of like audience interaction audience uh, and which which gets tied into it which but I was thinking about a lot of it where it's like you know audience interaction is not necessary for something to be immersive right right it's it's a style or a trend within it. It's right. not in itself necessary. Yeah. Um, and I feel like and the veil, what, what is interaction? Yeah. Like that's a really broad spectrum, right? I and what like could the, qualify as that? I feel like the veil for something, in, from my point of view, if it's going to be immersive, the veil has to be lifted, and the characters in you have to be occupying the same emotional space, right? Like, and and that doesn't mean that you. You're playing with some level mm-hmm. of agency. You won't necessarily have narrative agency, but 
I don't I don't need to be able to change what they're doing. I just it just feels like I need to feel like I'm occupying the same room, and so they're not just like looking past me when and ignore, ignoring the fact that I'm actually there. Because even even in Sleep No More, even though most of the time you're not there, once in a while they detect you as if they realize the ghosts are haunting them. Well, right? and that's, I mean, Sleep No More, the touchstone of all. You, yeah. it's, it's not a podcast without mentioning uh, no. Sleep No More. Yeah. So it was going to go there eventually. But, like, I mean, on a certain level, they, they beautifully, through the use of the mask, have cast us right we're all ghosts and and the fact that they tell us we can't talk and they can enforce that which is highly appreciated or at least they used to be able to enforce it (laughs) um but but we are cast so like that is a one i think the huge strengths of that piece is yes we do have a role now our role can't impact very much in said world as a ghost we don't we're 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 more witnessing spirits more often than not i know there are moments that it breaks out of that yeah in the you know the one-offs and stuff but by and large you are a, a spirit witness but exactly. they did give you a they did in a way cast you they are did. in a way cast within yeah. the universe yeah um you know it's interesting i do think about something like then she fell which for me was a really powerful experience i i loved seeing it i've only gone to see it once i would see it a second time if i could it's interesting. I was less clear of what my role was yeah. in that piece, which wasn't a problem for me. Again, going to this idea that none of these are like hard and fast rules of like, which I think is a cool thing. There aren't hard and fast rules yeah. about how to make this and what it needs, right? Yeah, I wasn't sure if like, oh, are is this a Marat Saad situation because this is supposed to be an insane asylum? Like what's going on really? But then at a certain point, it stopped mattering because they invited me into their space. Yeah. yeah. I, and and suddenly I know, that oh, was, I'm me. I yeah. never worried. Truthfully, it wasn't ever an issue, too. It wasn't like at the start of the piece, I wasn't like, who am I here? Yeah. But it was also clear that it's like, who I was here didn't matter. The point is, I was here with them. Yeah. And, there, and I was invited into said experience. My role, who I was, my character yeah. as an audience member, none of that was, was ever clear or actually important to the yeah. experience, which I think is, it's exciting. It's exciting that you can craft a piece where you, the idea that the audience has a role is fundamental to the core of their experience and that you can create a very successful piece that... Mm, our role is more nebulous and it's really about the invitation to share this with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in uh, some ways, I'm just having this weird moment. Like in some ways we we're, Oh, I know. I know cookie. There are cats and there's a beer. So it's after, that's why it's after dark rolls. Um, there, and you all, everyone just got to hear my uh, baby talk to cat voice, which is, that's what it really is. I, that was not planned. Um, your, your, your role vis-a-vis, then she fell really is it's 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 akin to alice right she's lost in wonderland you know like she's in a world that makes no sense and everything's upside down so there's sympathy there for the original core protagonist and there's even some moments in there that visually suggest that you know you're you're in that position as well but you're also you you know, which is very much the reader's role right when you're a reader and you're reading the role of the protagonist like there's there's that's the interesting thing about that piece or one of the interesting things about pieces well but see I'd say that's interesting though because like I really I do not feel like the protagonist very often when I go through immersive theater myself Mm. Um, and maybe it's because I don't have an interest 
personally and being mm. the protagonist. Yeah. I, I feel I feel present. I feel like I'm sharing the space with them, but I'm never thinking about my experience as though that's the point. Right. Well it's like within th- it. There's a this is the thing that gets interesting because like I'm 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 getting less interested in the the participant having the final say, being the protagonist, being like the 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 world redeemer, right? Like that, that sort of con- construct in an immersive or, or in, in sort of anything really. And yet at the same time in a, in a, in narrative plurality where you have multiple points of view mattering. And, and what's interesting in immersive as a discipline is that you can put people in into you can help them see various points of view, right? It's a lot easier in VR. In VR, you can just literally like you knock yourself into like someone a character's point of view, literally. Um, you start to find that we're back to the fundamental thing of the audience as the listener and as the person who's there to emotionally validate what's going on right like the most interesting thing in immersive to me these days is the fact that in any given scene you're kind of the character's best friend well and and i guess that goes to this interesting idea of the audience and that your audience are going to have different relationships to what they want out of the piece right yeah and this is the ultimate irony is you can't make something for everybody there's no way that any singular immersive piece is going to uh, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and th- there there is no ultimate immersive experience that will make everyone quote happy. Right. Um, because, so long as I can fight Darth Vader at Star Wars Land. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Disney. Disney. <laughs> if anyone is going to do it, I want to fly the Millennium Falcon, and I want to have a lightsaber fight with either Darth Vader or Kylo Ren. Uh, these days, it's Kylo Ren, and then when I want to do it. So you know, I hope they're taking notes and listening. Uh, tell your people that if, if anyone has the uh, the potential to create something that can make everyone happy, the potential yeah. I'm highlighting, yeah, yeah. the potential to potential. make everyone happy. No, someone's it, but inevitably someone will be upset. Yeah. Oh, of course, of yeah. course, because we all want different things yeah. out of the experience, and and I think it's a, you know I do think that's an interesting thing about the market too is the idea mm. of that in some ways, I mean, I feel this way about immersive theater, period. It's not for everyone. Not everyone likes to be immersed right. in it so fully, right? And so some people yeah. will see an immersive show, and it won't be for them, and that is fine. Right. Now, I generally would say see a couple because there's different forms, and you know, depending on content, style, you might not actually... You, you might like it, and it might just take you to find what part of the movement you like of it. But for some people, it's just not going to be for them. And yeah. that is okay. Yeah. Um, because on some level, too, because of the nature of the experience, unless it's a solo show that you're experiencing as a singular audience member, you, what you do in that space does impact other people. And I yeah. think that's that's part of the beauty of it. It is like this shared yeah. Intimate space with both performers and other audience, but it also means there's the space that um Well when it gets down to the solo and, and the one on one, sometimes it can take on the nature of, of a confessional. I think that was something I was saying when I was talking to Marissa a couple of days ago. Um that that'll be a piece that definitely airs before this one. 
um, possibly even sequentially. Um, and, and so you can kind of find yourself being more yourself because it's like, you know, being in a confessional booth or you've gone to a party where never, no one's ever going to see you again. All these sort of moments in our lives where like the mask slips and we don't have to be our, our social people anymore. And, you know, I feel really mixed about the confessional because on some level I love it as an audience member. This mm-hmm. is me talking audience, not yeah. maker. Um, and, you know, but but obviously the novelty of it is wearing off, right? It's been used in enough immersive perform productions and 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 I've seen enough immersive ex- productions that, like, the kind of just to be put in that moment of vulnerability and to make a choice about whether you want to go there or not is, yeah. is I it's, on some level I'm expecting it at some point now. But you know what's interesting is I, I am interested in it and I think there's a lot of exciting parts to it. But there goes this idea of like responsibility of the artist behind it, right? Oh, yeah. Where it's like if you're going to create the space for me to do this or ask this of me how do you follow up with it then right Mm -hmm. because it is definitely like um or and i feel like it's not just about like spoken confession it's like so if you're going to ask your audience member to do something more extreme or that's something that makes them in a more vulnerable position like it needs to go somewhere right like it needs to have a point like there needs to be a, there needs to be a payoff. There there really needs to yeah, be, and you need to because, know what it is you're trying because to there do. There is something where like I was in one piece and a question was posed, and I answered it truthfully. It wasn't anything, you know. It was, it was something about the nature of love and relationships, and and I was honest about it, and that was fine. Um, and and I did feel that it was like it was valued. Like they, 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 there was a moment where you could tell the production realized, like, oh, she's giving a real answer, not a canned answer. Canned yeah. answer. Um, and they, it, in a weird way, I felt respected in the sense you could, I felt that they, they did respect that they understood I had put something real into the space. Mm. But now that I've put this real thing in the space, I want it to go somewhere, right? Like, right. It, I want it to, I, I already, I've said this and, and it didn't create a revelation for me personally, which right. sometimes it can, right? Sometimes the confessional itself and saying it is the revelation. Right. But now that it's been put out there, where where is that going? Like what, it, it's almost like if you're, the more you ask of your audience, that the more what they do or say, the more personal it is on some levels, the more you, you have a responsibility to to manage what gets put out there, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like you need, like, then you need to have, if you're, if you're going to be asking those kind of questions, right? Like, it's it can be good to play the open-ended question game, and a lot of people do here in town. You have to have cast right. Yeah. You have to have people who are comfortable going there, and you have to have created space for folks to go into storytelling mode themselves and then suddenly you're you're sharing stories i know cookie well and it and it's interesting because i i bring it up as a topic point not in a like because because we always do it right sort of way you know it is like in a larger philosophical question because there is something beautiful as an audience member about about the confessional question the moment 
where you get to because even if you don't choose to act on the question you're thinking about it right yeah. it's it's it has conjured that into your 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 space and like hopefully it's sitting up to prime you for something later down the road but, right yeah but that that's where you would like it to then change the way you see later parts of the show right Precisely. or if it's an action that you had to do um it's interesting it's about purpose right and 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 i as someone who literally makes this and it's you know so much content goes into the work right like because you're creating variables your you other options you know a script for one of these pieces even when that script is and this physical thing happens right because it's not always a spoken um there is a point where you're it's hard to like to push everything a hundred percent right yeah um but when you get to take a step back from it for a moment, it is like you do want everything to in some ways go somewhere or have meaning. Because it, it makes me think of video games, which yeah. is, uh, you know, there's that moment in the video game where you collect, you know, I'm playing I'm playing Tomb Raider and I collect the 15, you know, um, medallions yeah. from the shrines. And it needs to mean something. Yeah, it right? can't just be now I have, you know, 15 medallions back at Croft at, Manor. At Croft Manor, at. And, and now I get two I mean, I extra there, experience but, yeah. points to throw on something. No. Or not even two, I probably only yeah. got one. But it's like, okay, I put all this, I put I put work into it. And yeah. I think the it immersive the immersive version of it is I've put myself into it. I've been vulnerable. I've done this. And at you, least give me a flaming crossbow. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's like you want it, you don't want it to be forced, but you also, I feel like it's like if it can be worked in or create deeper reflection later, you'd like it to be set up deliberately to do so, right? Yeah. Um, no, no, you, you, you gave a look like all, uh, but like it, it, you're, you're dead on right there. Like I keep, I've been coming back a lot lately to uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow and the idea of priming. <laughs> And in the course of this conversation, while you've been talking about, like, you know, you know I think, I mean, I'm the one who broached the conver- the confessional thing. And this is part of that neural net in my head. These things are related. And this idea that you have to, you, you don't necessarily have to pay it off in that moment. But if you're asking the question and making people think about something, um, it is a somewhat better if you're doing that early and and not trying to treat the confessional like the thing that you know that's the thing you get to go do like here's that peak experience but you also want to hit them right off the bat you're gonna kind of like warm people up a little bit if you move into the confessional mode then having there be payoff like it needs to be at least thematically linked to something else that's coming down the pike well and i would say you know uh, then she fell for me did that pretty in a very simple way did it well right like I had a, a one-on-one with a character where this idea of love was, you know, brought up. Have you ever been in love? Very simple question. Like, you can give a long answer. You can give a short answer, right? Point is, though, clearly there was this sort of love story happening in a larger context in the whole piece. So it, thematically, at least, yeah. my experience of it and then witnessing someone else's experience, like, there's a jump to be made, right? Yeah. Like, in a, in, a, in a very simple way, you know, I would say it's like, but also they didn't I didn't get pushed in any way to go too far down the confessional path, right? So I wasn't yeah. offering they gave me space. Yeah. 
but they also didn't push me too hard. I don't to, think, yeah, I, don't, I think to, to, they didn't push me to go to, they didn't push me to go anywhere too far. So yeah. also what they owed me in quotes yeah. was minimal. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I do think, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting. And a lot of people are playing with, with this energy right now. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, well, and it's, it's, it's you, you, you brought it up casually and pre pre-recording discussion you know the the joke of free therapy and immersive theater right <laughs> which because on some level right you go to an immersive theater because experience for many reasons but one of them is you could learn more about yourself right yeah. you it creates a space for self-reflection in a in a in a situation that you don't normally in your day-to-day life get to experience they can right? be highly meditative um yeah. so you can learn a lot about yourself from them but also that's not always but but it's funny well you do that i don't think most pieces are actively trying to curate that yeah uh, so you've you've created these situations where that's now happening but then also like what do you do with all this stuff right so people are having the self-discovery mid-piece is that is that fine is that enough like what it it's it, it, i do think there's a lot of question of like intention when you ask audience to reveal and give of themselves within the piece what are the goals behind that yeah and how do you then you incorporate i just think it's i, I, I think, think as an immersive your... creator you need to like have have goals and objectives when you set stuff up absolutely i think it comes down to part of it comes down to what you said about you're giving people space right so you're setting up the structure it's like the love question. Now you're giving people space to explore that idea on their own. You're you're creating scaffolding and maybe you're helping them along, but you're not necessarily pushing them along because you can't really force a person to think about something. You can only kind of invite them. I'm very much about the invitation. What I think is interesting, and I, I did like 3,000 words on the conclusion of Have You Seen Jake, part of which was about like giving framing for the story. But one of the things that was really interesting about that conclusion for me and the the piece as a whole is I started thinking about the idea of initiatory rites, and particularly initiatory rites of mystery cults, and this idea of you're bringing people in into a secret and you're progressing them through a story in order to lead them to a, a catharsis or an epiphany, and... In, in doing so, you, you have to touch on certain archetypal, or you, you wind up touching on certain archetypal ideas, archetypal images and forms. And it's, it's kind of a little bit religious-y. It's kind of a little magic-y. It's definitely Jungian psychotherapy-y. Um, and if you're going to be playing with that those sort of forces, I feel like you, you've got to know the potential of the effects and you you've if you want to take that path you need to be you know taking responsibility for the effects you're gonna gonna cause in people as you do experience design and on a certain level it's almost unavoidable if you go far enough with this stuff that would be you know messing with those sort of things i used to think about that stuff in my larping days about like we'd call it now like oh is is this piece gonna is this part gonna trigger so and so because of something that's going on so let's let's avoid doing this storyline with them because you know i don't think they can take it right now which can be the height of arrogance on one level but it's also another where you're like well you know you're you're 
in LARPs, you're hopefully looking out for your friends. Although LARPs can also, they can, they can metastasize after a while and, and become vicious. Uh, I've watched that happen too. Um, let's see. So for those of you playing the drinking games at home, uh, you need to take four shot, shots because we mentioned LARPs. Uh, we did Sleep No More twice, so that's at least one shot each. We spent a long time on Then She Fell, so chug a beer. Uh, <laughs> you do not have to, however, do a Boilermaker. So, uh, I don't even know what a Boilermaker is. Oh, Boilermaker, if memory serves correctly, um, that's that's any drink where you drop one, like a shot okay. in a drink. So, you know, um, there's 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 the, the famous, you know, the Baileys and the Guinness. Uh, you know, there's that version. Um but um, yeah. Oh, we went philosophical. Um, anything? We've been at this for a while. Um, and anything that's that, that else is top of mind right now? No, people should see <laughs> Johnny Three, and yeah. if you haven't gotten on the Kansas Collection boat, you should. And if we don't have tickets for something right now, we will most likely be remounting it at some point and then you can get on the boat get on the boat the boat won't sink the boat's going a lot of people on the boat um it's gonna be really interesting to see how you guys evolve that one like i i yeah i'm looking forward to that yeah it's a it's a it's a you know it's a funny place because we're there's such different pieces at their, you know, Johnny Three and uh, oh yeah, and, and Kansas Collection are just uh, horses of a different color, and um, and so it's it's really weird making them because I think there are moments where as a company we get so into Kansas it's like Johnny what, and then <laughs> other times we're in in the Johnny real heavy and it's like oh gosh we got to we got to do that now so it's 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 been a it's it's a definitely a roller coaster right now so well. Uh- I, I consider this part of my apology tour to the troop. I'm sorry I accidentally uh, led you guys down uh, this uh, primrose path. No, no, it's actually, it, it has been great, so we deeply appreciate it. And, you know, so much... I take the apology back. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it is the interesting thing as a company for us. So much of what we do is responsive, right? Like, we we have ideas where it's like, we're going to do this show, and then we're going to do this show, and then we're going to do this show. And then you know, spaces appear or opportunities appear. And those shows we were planning on doing don't fit them, right? Or don't make sense for that context. And you adapt and evolve. So Kansas Collection was something we definitely weren't planning in any sort of short or middle-term future. But we needed to make a freestanding piece in a tent and that led to that that uh let us down that that led us down down the yellow brick road the yellow brick road we gotta go there yeah yeah so i I did primrose path knowing that i wanted to see yellow brick road so 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 now you've done it i've now done it now you've done it now that's the boiler maker good night everyone no, no, that wasn't really. Wait, is that the <laughs> that end? That could have been the end, but no, that'd be funny. Like, wait, I thought that was your final line. No, it almost was. I, I should have been a sign off. Maybe I should have been, but no. But usually, I want to say at least this. I want to say, Julianne, just thank you for being on the show this time. And then you could say, oh, like, then I yeah. say something back. I you don't know what ends it. it. Okay. Like you usually say, oh, thanks, oh, for thanks so show. much for having me. Yeah, no, I really a, appreciate right. it. Great, no, no, now you're. Oh, I got her to laugh. See, she said she doesn't laugh that much. I made her laugh. There, that's a good way to end the show.
once again want to thank our guest, Julianne Just of the Speakeasy Society. You can find them on Twitter at the Speakeasy Soch, S-O-C. You can also, of course, find them on Facebook at the Speakeasy Society. They're going to be hanging around, everything immersive. That's always a good spot to find them as well. And they're uh, speakeasysociety.com on let me let me double Google that for you. All right. Let's just double Google that really quick. Yeah. Speakeasy Society, know the dot com on the internets, which is how you find them. Get your tickets to Johnny. Get your tickets to uh, parts one and two of the Kansas collection at the fringe, all of which uh, are either on sale or about to be on sale. So there you go. Uh, you know, get your credit cards ready. You're going to be poor this summer. <laughs> I'm starting to call it a crying wallet syndrome, CWS, crying wallet syndrome. I am very familiar with, every time I go to New York, I get crying wallet. I'm still paying off from last year's trip. That's, that's the God's honest truth. All right. How can you find us on the internet? Well, no proscenium is on Twitter or at no proscenium. It's our little newswire of immersive. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, no proscenium. You can find us at no which has links to all the stuff, has links to the show, has links to our medium collection, medium.com slash no dash proscenium, which is basically our website. Uh, we've been doing it for a few years now. Uh, I know people have mixed feelings about medium. I really like their uh, CMS. There you go. And it's easy to pull in other writers. But that's that's for the podcast where Noah talks about process. You do not want to listen to that podcast. Um, there's uh, You find me on uh, Twitter, at Noah J. Nelson. There's also, of course, as I mentioned before, there's Everything Immersive, which is our Facebook group, which like probably maybe when you're listening to this, we'll have 700 members. And it's just, it's like three weeks old. It's, it's going to be a month old soon. Um and I'm impressed by that. Um, tell friends about it. Uh, and like I said, uh, we are looking for people to be moderators and to sort of be kind of community captains in other cities. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, the pay is bupkis. Uh, and it comes with the side benefits of your country's healthcare. Uh, so it's a really raw deal, uh, unless you're in England, in which case, please adopt me. And, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, I guess, Canada too. Oh, Canada. Um, but we want to hear from you and I, I don't mention it enough, but, uh, we do have the Slack. It has not gone away. It feels like, oh, there's that Slack thing. No, the Slack is actually a really uh, great place to, if, if you're looking to sort of make connections across different cities and you want to kind of dive deeper into individual topics, and we will get back into the practice of the office hours. Uh, I'm sitting down this weekend figuring it out because also on the Patreon side of things, I now owe you guys a weekly, uh, not weekly, whoa, whoa, no, not weekly, a monthly video office hours for Patreon backers. All right, so if you're a Patreon backer of the show, you're gonna get access and invite to a video chat that we're gonna do once a month, setting up the schedule for that this weekend. It'll be later in May, will be the first one. There'll definitely be a special fringe one. So yeah, we're getting that live stream thing. And we've opened up a couple of new tiers in the Patreon, uh, ambitious goals. There's a $400 goal, which is to upgrade the audio equipment for the show because I have some serious ambition. And there's a thousand dollar a month goal, which uh, involves laying down some serious infrastructure and also starting to uh, help pay people. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to help pay the curators and the editors and the writers 
who work for No Proscenium. Uh, we don't have any revenue coming in that is not the Patreon right now. Right now. Uh, we will, of course, we're, we're, the door is open to sponsorships from not shows because we have our editorial independence to concern ourselves with. But things are advancing on a couple of different lines right now. But I want you to always know that your direct support is critical. In this era of in this era of fake news, in this era of yeah, no, really. Um, and so actually what I'll say real quick is um, you know, uh, Wiki Tribune, which is Jimmy Wales's new news project, uh, it's also looking for backers and it's a worthy cause. So the people from Wikipedia want to create a new way to make news work. And I would say, you know, I'm not supposed to be the person who says like, oh, I want your money, but give it to this guy first. Go, go, go through $5 if you can at, or $10 at, at Wiki Tribune. I think it's an important cause. Um, that being said, you can also throw money at me because getting our folks in the long run paid, and it's a long goal to get them paid. I might add in some other steps, but we have some infrastructure costs that are real and if nothing else, I definitely want to look uh, even sooner than the thousand dollar goal at just like covering people's expenses because, you know, this stuff starts to nickel and dime at a certain point in terms of trying to cover it. Um, and yes, when you send a reporter out and they cover and they review a show or they go see the show so they can have an informed interview with the people making the show, uh, it is very nice uh, that there is the whole, you know, fact that reviewers, you know, get comped. The quid pro quo being, you know, the company comps, you write the piece, that's the trade. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean the piece is friendly. It just means it gets done. That's the cost of doing business. But the other costs of doing business, like gas, parking, making sure your reporters are fed, all that sort of stuff, um, that falls on the publisher, pointing to myself. But really, you are the publisher of No Proscenium and this show. So just remember that. Executive producer credit, you. And there's actually some uh, credits that are like that to show up on the show. So we're restructuring things. See, told you, save it on the, the back end here. Look, the work is getting more and more. It's getting busier and busier. Uh, I could do this. It's a full-time job. I have a full-time job. Uh, would I like this to be my full-time job? Oh, you know it. Uh, and maybe in five years it will be. But I'm also realistic. So let's get out there. Um, I need those team captains. If you're in another city and you, you want to put a spotlight on this stuff, here's a network waiting for you, uh, eager to have you on board. Every little bit of help, uh, you know, it, yeah, it does help if you get out and push. That's all I'm trying to say. All right, enough of that. Um, this is the calm before the storm this weekend. Um, I'm not seeing any shows right now. Next week on the show, um, I do believe, I think it's going to be Sophia Stoller of The Other Side. It's a great episode. It's already in the can. We've got more interviews coming. We're on the road to the 100th episode, which is going to be really special because I said so. Uh, and then after the 100th episode, everything changes. Everything changes. Except for the name. The name's staying the same. Everything else changes at the, at the 101st episode. And I can't wait to get there. I mean, I can because I'm not a time traveler. Um, otherwise, um, things would be very different. This show would be the same ish, but everything else would be different. God, I don't want to show as a time traveler. All right. I've lost the plot. 
as usual. Thank you for listening to this After Dark episode of No Persinium with Julian Just of the Speakeasy Society. I've been Noah Nelson, your immersionaut in the ether. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.